take out your Bibles, we are beginning the book of First Chronicles this evening. Finished last time, finishing up Second Kings. First Chronicles, and if this is your first time joining us, I see a lot of familiar faces, so probably not. But if this is your first time joining us, what we do on Wednesday nights, the same thing we do on the weekends, we go through, we're going through the Old Testament, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And we are going to deviate from that somewhat tonight. I, I, uh, I commend all of you who came here tonight. Any, anybody read ahead into First Chronicles? All right. God bless you for showing up tonight. <laughs> because we're going we're gonna to look at and we're going to try to get through nine chapters tonight. <laughs> Normally, two chapters is a big bite to get through on a, on a Wednesday night. But uh, we're going to look at First Chronicles tonight at beginning in it. And the first nine chapters, really, it, it, it's a genealogy. And we're going to look at a lot of it. We're going to skim over a bunch of it. I encourage you to read through it on your own. Um, and if you would like a great commentary, and I ref- people ask me all the time if I have recommendations for commentaries, and there's a free one online. It's Enduring Word. If you Google Enduring Word or Dave Guzik, uh, he has a great free online commentary, and he does, he does a great job going through these nine chapters. I looked at it quite a bit today myself. So if, if you want to read through it and follow through with that, I encourage you to do so. Second Kings, we left off last time, and as we've been studying and looking at the history of the, the children of Israel, we have looked at in Second Kings again how the, the, the nation of Israel was basically split in two. The northern ten tribes, and we followed them, their kings, they didn't have a single good king their entire time. All of them turned away from the Lord, and they were taken off into captivity into Assyria. And last time, as we finished up Second Kings, the southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin, called Judah, were taken off into captivity in Babylon. Now, as we get into First Chronicles, we're going to see that there are a lot of similarities to First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings as we go through First and Second Chronicles. By the way, First and Second Chronicles originally was one scroll, <laughs> was one book. It wasn't split until it was translated into Greek, which is called the Septuagint. Then it was separated into First Chronicles and Second Chronicles. But this is written from a very different perspective than First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. Those were very historical, um, prophetic books as we looked through. Though this is again a historical recount, this is written after. The, the children of Israel have already returned back to, from captivity, from captivity in Babylon. And we, we see that, and there's, there's some debate over who the author is. History says it's, it's Ezra. Jewish history tells us. And if you look at the last two verses of Second Chronicles and then the first two verses of Ezra, they mirror each other. So there's some evidence to that. Um, but probably written based on the fact that it tells us, as one of the verses we'll see tonight, it references one of, the, one of the, the king's sons who was taken off into captivity in Babylon, but then it lists eight generations that follow after him in, in, the, in the record. So we know that it was a bit of time after they went into exile, and we'll see if we get into chapter 9 like we hope to, it talks of the people that are coming back already. So 
as, as, we, as we look at that together, again, it's very different. The first nine chapters, as I mentioned, are a genealogy. Then chapter 10 looks at the death of King Saul. Beginning in verse 11 through the rest of First Chronicles, we look at the reign of David. Then in the first, let's see, nine chapters of Second Chronicles, we look at the reign of Solomon, David's son. And the remainder of Second Chronicles follows the, the kings and the tribes of Judah, referencing Israel, but really focusing on Judah. Now, the, again, the focus of First and Second Chronicles is very different than First and Second Kings, and we'll see that, and I'll try to kind of bring that out a little bit as we study tonight, because the point of the, the author is trying to give hope to the people as they are coming back. Going all the way back, as we'll see, the first name, as you'll notice in First Chronicles 1.1, is Adam. He goes all the way back to the beginning, Adam, and traces the genealogies, as we will see through showing that God has never removed his hand from, the, from his people and guiding them and giving them the hope, the promises. We'll look at those a little bit tonight. The promises given to Adam, to, to Abraham, to Noah, to David as we go through. And again, as we prayed a little bit a moment ago, God is a, a covenant God. He made a covenant with his people and he keeps his covenant. He keeps his promises. We see in... Deuteronomy chapter 7, that the God, God chose his people, but he says, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loves you and has kept an oath, kept a promise that he has made. And as we go through this, I, the thing that blesses me in that is, guys, promises have been made to us. And because God is one that keeps his promises, we can embrace the promises that we have in him. God, as we just talked, God demonstrated his own love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, paying our penalty, redeeming us from sin and from death and giving us eternal life. As we begin tonight, you've probably all heard the expression that a picture is worth a thousand words, right? <laughs> well, it's interesting because as I was thinking through that, and we know as we look through this, that isn't a name even worth a thousand pictures? What do I mean by that? Well, let's just start with the first one, Adam. If you've been a student of, of, of the word, if you've, been, if you've grown up in, in, in church or even outside of church, doesn't the name Adam bring a whole story to your mind? The whole, the whole thing that God created Adam out of the dust of the ground. He breathed life into him. He saw that it was not good that man was alone, so he created Eve, and, and they had the perfect environment, yet they were tempted, fell into sin, broke that, that perfect relationship with God, that whole picture that is, that is lined out before us. And as we now navigate through this genealogy, <laughs> as we navigate through, all, all, everybody that we're going to look at in here has died, so we're going to kind of walk through a graveyard. Um, it's interesting because we can lose interest. I have to admit, today was a struggle <laughs> reading through, preparing, and if you've read through, you probably struggled through the genealogy as you were reading through it. I can tell you what would change all of that. 
if your name was in here, right? <laughs> You'd be like going, okay, he's coming up to my name. We're going to get there pretty soon. But as Marius reminded me earlier, as we were just standing in back, guys, all of our names are written in a book, the book of life. And God, again, records this. And part of that blesses me as we go through this. And we're, like I said, we're not going to cover every name. I feel bad about that a little bit. I'm going to meet one of these guys up saying, he goes, yeah, you left my name out that night. How come, you know? We're going to start as we begin our study very, at the very broad level, Adam. Again, we are all descendants of Adam, every one of us. How do you know you're a descendant of Adam? Because the Bible tells us that through Adam, all die. Guys, hate to tell you, we're all dying. <laughs> so we know that we're all descendants of Adam, every one of us. And it begins as we start out here, Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah. Here we cover in just a few names, thousands of years, or a couple thousand years as we go through this to get to this point with Noah. And as I mentioned, a name worth a thousand pictures. Back then, names really meant something. They just didn't go through a book and say, oh, that'd be cute. No, names meant something. And it was fascinating. I heard this years ago, and it's, it blessed me then, and I'll share it with you. We did this when we went through in, in Genesis. This same record is given to us. But Adam, the, that word means man. Seth means appointed. Now, Seth, again, is a great name and a picture that brings right to man because Seth was the son that was given to Adam and Eve after Cain and Abel. One's a murderer, one got murdered. So Seth is that one given to them, the beautiful picture then as redemption starts to enter in to the equation. So Adam means man, Seth means appointed, Enosh means frail or weak, it carries with it the idea of being mortal. Kenan means sorrow. Mahalalel means blessed God. Jared does not mean diamonds. Jared means to descend or to come down. Enoch means teaching. Now, Enoch, there's another great name. We know very little about Enoch except the fact that he walked with God and he was no more. God, for God took him. He walked with God. He, 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 there's oftentimes God is referred to as walking before us, be, being behind us, being, but he walked with God. What a beautiful picture that is. And one day he goes out for a walk with God and he probably got miles away from home and God just said, you know what? Why don't you just come on up here? And he took him. Enoch, one that did not die. God just took him up to be with him. Methuselah known to be the old longest man that lived longer than anyone else. His name means his, his death shall bring. Now that sounds interesting, what his death shall bring. The, the, the given to that and the meaning behind that is his death will mean that the destruction is coming. Upon his death set off the series of events that would mean the destruction, the worldwide flood. So his death shall bring. Lamech means despairing. And Noah means comfort. 
Why did I go through all of that? Well, I read them to you as their names are. Let me read what their names mean. Man appointed morrow, or I'm sorry, mortal, sorrow. Blessed God shall come down, teaching his death shall bring despairing comfort. Wow. The gospel right there in, in the names that are given to us right out of this first three and one third chapter. Noah. Noah, interestingly, in Genesis chapter 6, it tells us that at the time of Noah, every man was evil, every thought was evil, and God, it says that he was despairing. It's the fact that he even created man, but it says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It's the first time the word grace is used in the Bible. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and we know the story of Noah how, again, the thousand-word picture. You don't even have to have gone to church your whole life. You may have, nobody ever set foot in a church. You know the story of Noah, how God called this one man to, to build the ark and the, the two of every animal and his family, but then God closed them in and protected them as the flood came and destroyed every living thing on the face of the earth. And from that, again, then repopulating the earth. So we know that we are all descendants of Adam, but we also know that we are all descendants of Noah. And it tells us too also that God gave Noah and his, and his family the promise of a rainbow that he will never destroy the world again by flood. So he gave a promise to Adam in the garden, the first mention of the gospel that, that, his, that his seed will crush the serpent's head, the first mention of the gospel, proto-evangelicum, he gives that promise there. He gives a promise to Noah. He will never destroy the world again with a flood. We see in verse 4 also now the three sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The sons of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, Tiras. And it goes on through then uh, as he covers through all of these names, and in Genesis chapter 10, it's called the Table of Nations. And it tells in a, in a great, again, I encourage you, we're not going to go through that tonight, but a great study from this, they've traced where all of the, genea- or all of the nations have come from around, around the world, where the, the African people came, where the, the European people came, and t- tracing all of them through their source right here in the Bible. And even, even atheists, even people who don't, believe the words of the Bible say that Genesis chapter 10 is, is a very reliable source for all of that. Well, we continue on down and let's, uh, let's go to verse 24 because it takes now from the line of Shem a little bit earlier in a little bit more detail, but verse 24, Shem, Arphaxad, had Shelah, Eber, Peleg, Reu, Serug, Nahor, Terah, Abram. That is Abraham. And here we come again all the way through this again, many generations to get to Abraham. And again, here we see that God, as we just read, he didn't pick any, he didn't pick the, the children of Israel because they were great in number. He said, you're the fewest in number, one, because they all came from, from Abram, Abraham. It tells us in Genesis chapter 12, 
Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to a land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Again, here we see the promise of God to Abraham. If you go, I will be with you. I will bless you. As a matter of fact, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. That's why, again, it is so vitally important, guys, that we support Israel, that we are behind God's people, Israel. We are blessed if we do. If we come against them, we are coming against the hand of God. And he said, through you, through you, Abraham, all the world will be blessed, pointing to, again, the Messiah, Jesus, coming. And we follow all the way through to the Messiah, Jesus, coming from the line of Abraham. And it tells us that Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, stepping out in faith, in obedience, going, doesn't know, he said, in the land, I will show you. He didn't know where he was going. Hebrews tells us he went out not knowing where he was going, and God guided, directed him. The sons of Abraham, verse 28, were Isaac and Ishmael. Abraham, one of the most, obviously, the most influential or most important people in all of history. From Abraham come both the Arabs and the Jews. When we go to Israel and we, we interact, oftentimes as we're going through, we have a Jewish guide and we're interacting with Jews all the time, but we interact with just as many Arabs as we're going through Israel as we do Jews. They live together. They even refer to each other as cousin, especially if they want something. <laughs> a lot of the shops that we will go into are owned and operated by Arabs. And, and when they bring a Jewish, our Jewish guide and driver, hey, cousin, cousin, <laughs> you know, and it when it benefits them. Goes on, verse 29, these are the genealogies. The firstborn of Ishmael was Nebioth, then Kedar, then Abdil, then Mib, Midsham. And it goes on, continuing through, the, were the sons of Ishmael. God promised to bless Ishmael, and he did, certainly. Grew to a great nation of people. Verse 32. The sons of Keturah, Abram, Abraham's concubine, after Abraham's first wife, Sarah, died, he remarried. Now, remembering the story of Abraham, he was promised a son in his old age. Both he and Sarah, his wife, were past the age of childbearing and were childless. Well, not only did he have a child with Sarah, Isaac, the son of promise, as we will see in a moment, but he also remarries at the age of 145. And he has more children. She bore him these sons, Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. The sons of Jokshan were Sheba and Dedan. Sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Hanak, Abada, and Elda. All these were the sons of Keturah. That's part of the reason we're not going to read through every bit of it because that would just be an assassination on the names here. But, but verse 34 says, Abraham became the father of Isaac. Isaac, again, all of the stories and pictures that then come just from the name Isaac, right? The son of Abraham's old age, the promised son. 
even though Abraham was, was disobedient, got ahead of God, figured, well, it's not working with Sarah, so well, I, it must be God's plan that I have a son through her maid, Hagar, and that, that Ishmael and that whole thing came from there. But no, the son of promise, Sarah, would have a son, and the son Isaac. And then God called Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. He takes him up on to a mountaintop, and there he builds an altar, places Isaac on the altar, and just before he's about to plunge the knife into him, God says, stop. I know that, you're, that you love me. I know that you will do what I will, whatever it is that I would ask you to do. Don't hurt, don't hurt him. I will provide myself a sacrifice. There, a ram caught in a thicket, they sacrificed there, but pointing ahead to Jesus, by the way, who was crucified on that same hill. I will provide myself a sacrifice. Again, God reiterating his promises. The sons of Isaac were Esau and Israel. The, the author, Ezra, or whoever it is, referring already to Jacob as Israel, the name that God gave Israel after, after he wrestled with him that, that night, touched him, dislocated his hip, named him Israel, already referring here now to him as Israel. Esau, the sons of Esau, and it goes through now the rest of this, this chapter talking about how God blessed Esau as he promised he would. In verse 43, it says, now these are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom. The descendants of Esau are the Edomites that we read about through much of the Old Testament that we've covered a lot of already, the Edomites and the kings, and it goes through all of that. So as we f finish up here, the chapter one, God's not mentioned one time. Doesn't mention God, Lord, Yahweh, any time in the first 50, but we see his fingerprints everywhere, don't we? All the way back from God calling Adam in the garden that day, after he had sinned, where are you? God going to him, seeking him out, searching him out. God blessing them with Seth, another son. God walking with Enoch and taking him. God's, God using Noah, extending grace to him and then giving him that, that promise. God choosing Abraham, which again, by the way, failed to mention it a moment ago, when God called him, he was a pagan. His father was an idol worshiper and, and all of that. And God chose Abraham. Again, not because Abraham was somehow seeking Yahweh. God spoke to him, called him, and called him out of that. God orchestrated, again, his choice. And as he moves through his child of choice, Isaac, and then he chooses Jacob, the second born. Going, go, all of these different things. God's hand in all of it. And then even, again, blessing Esau. Moving forward from there, see God's hand in all of this. Well, verse chapter 2, these are the sons of Israel. And here we see the 12 sons of Israel. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Dan, Joseph, Benjamin, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. He moves in chapter 3 to the sons of Judah. And here again is we see the author's point, what he's really trying to drive home. He doesn't go with the oldest son first. He goes to Judah and follows his lineage, and he will come back to it a couple of times, because again, the tribe of Judah that has returned, 
the promise that was made that the, the Messiah will come through the line of Judah, that that promise given to David, that, that as that continues through, and even before that promise is made, we see now God's hand continuing to direct and guide as he goes through. But interesting, part of this as we go through in this first Chronicles, the interesting what's in it and what's not in it. There's, we're going to see several things that are omitted, left out, but things that are in that you'd wonder, why would you include that? And to me, right away, we see this with the, the sons of Judah, were Ur, Onan, and Shelah. These three were born to him by Bathshua, the Canaanitess. And Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, so he put him to death. And the story tells us that his sons were, were, were wicked. The one married another, in the, this married this Tamar, who's in verse 4, but he died. Judah put her aside and said, when the youngest son gets old enough, I'll have you marry him. But that happened, and he did not have him marry her. So she dressed herself up as a prostitute. He comes into town, Judah, after his wife dies. He comes into town, doesn't recognize her, goes into her as a prostitute. She gets pregnant. He finds out that she's pregnant now, his daughter-in-law, and he's going to have her put to death, and then finds out that he's the father and says, you know, she's more righteous than I am. All of these stories you can read up on your own if you don't know them already. But that, that whole story, when, when the, the children of Israel are reading this, again, all of that comes back to mind. They understand all of these things. But God uses this line, this line, to bring about the Messiah. Jesus comes through this lineage. Tamar, his daughter-in-law, bore to him Perez, Zerah. Judah had five sons in all. The sons of Perez were Hezron, Hamuel. The sons of Zerah were Zimri, Ethan, Haman, Calcol, and Dera, five of them in all. The son of, of Carmi was Achar, or actually Achan. Joshua chapter 7 tells us he's the one who took the spoils from Jericho when God said, you don't take anything and brought the trouble upon Upon the children of Israel, they lose the next battle. That's, that's Achan, Achar here, the troubler of Israel who violated the ban. The son of Ethan was Azariah. Now, the sons of, he the sons of Hezron who were born to him were Jeremiel, Ram, and Chelbuai. Ram became the father of Amenadab. Amenadab became the father of Nashon, the leader's leader of the sons of Judah. Nashon became the father of Salma. Salma became the father of Boaz. Now there's a name, if we've been going following through, that's a name we recognize in this lineage, Boaz, that would marry Ruth. Boaz became the father of Obed, and Obed became the father of Jesse. Jesse became the father of Eliab, his firstborn, then Abinadab the second, Shemei the third, Nathaniel the fourth, Rabbi the fifth, Ozem the sixth, David the seventh. King David tells us that their sisters were Zariah and Abigail, and the three sons of Zariah were Abishai, Joab, and Ashiel. These three will become military leaders in David's army. We find out here that they're actually related to him. And continuing on then through, the remainder of this, chapter 2, continues through the genealogies as they trace down from the other descendants. Chapter 3, 
Now these were the sons of David who were born to him in Hebron. The first was Amnon by Anna, Ahinoam, the Jezreelite. The second was Daniel by Abigail, the Carmelitess. The third was Absalom, the son of Makkah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. The fourth was Adonijah, the son of Haggith. The fifth was Shephatiah by Abital. The sixth was Ithream by the wife Egla. David had a lot of wives, not as many as his son, but had a lot of wives. Six were born to him in Hebron, and there he reigned seven years and six months. David, we'll see this as we cover the reign of David here in a couple of weeks we get there. He, his initial reign was in Hebron before he moved to Jerusalem and made Jerusalem the capital of Israel. He reigned in Jerusalem 33 years. These were born to him in Jerusalem, Shimei, Shobab, Nathan, and Solomon, four by Bathsheba, or Bathsheba, the daughter of Amiel. And then he lists off some other sons that were born to David, nine additional ones that are, that are in the next couple of verses. All these were the sons of David, besides the sons of the concubines, and Tamar was their sister. Now Solomon's son was Rehoboam, Abijah was his son, Asa his son, Jehoshaphat his son, Joram his son, Ahaziah his son, Joash his son, Amaziah his son, Azariah his son, Jotham his son, Ahaz his son, Hezekiah his son, Manasseh his son, Amon his son, Josiah his son. The sons of Josiah were Jonan the firstborn, the second was Jehoiakim, the third Zedekiah, the fourth Shalem. Those names should sound very familiar as we have just been studying in 2 Kings, the kingly line of the kings of Judah. Many of them we've just looked at in the previous weeks. So here we're brought up right to where we left off here in verse 16. The sons of Jehoiakim were Jeconiah his son and Zedekiah his sons. The son of Jeconiah the prisoner were Shaliah his son, and goes on for a couple more, but Jeconiah the prisoner, speaking of being taken off into captivity in Babylon, we know that year was 598 BC. So we've come all the way from Adam to the deportation, the captivity into, into Babylon. As I mentioned now, eight generations are then listed down to verse 24, and that Anani, and Anani 7, that's the last one listed of those that were born then several generations after they went into captivity. As we now begin in chapter 4, we're going to look at, we just looked at Judah, the line to David. Now we're going to look at, and just touch at it a little bit in spots, the, the lineage of the other sons of, of Jacob, of Israel, the tribes of Israel, first of all with Asher. And I want to look at verse 9 for a moment because here we're introduced to one that's not mentioned anywhere else. But for whatever reason, the author felt it important that he give us some information about this man. Jabez, verse 9, was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother named him Jabez, saying, Because I bore him in pain. Now Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed, and enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from harm, that it may not pain me. And God granted him what he requested. It's interesting when we look at this, it says he was more honorable than his brothers. 
But it's interesting when we look at that because Jabez literally means pain or suffering because it says, he, uh, because I bore him in pain, that's why I named him. Can you imagine growing up with that name? Suffering, pain. <laughs> and with that, it, it, it challenges me in that because all of the things, can imagine the difficulties that he faced growing up, yet it says he was more honorable than all of his brothers, more honorable than those that were around him, even though he had that strike against him from when he was first born. And it says that he called upon the God of Israel saying, oh, that you would bless me indeed. And it's interesting when we look at that, bless me indeed, because when we oftentimes ask for blessings, we are thinking more materially or physically or, you know, health-wise and that type of thing, right? But how many times do those blessings, when we look at that and say, oh, I'm going to be happy when I have that, or I'm going to be satisfied when I get that, bless me with that, Lord, and I'll be good. When that all comes about, or we see others that have all of that stuff, they're not blessed indeed. They might be blessed, but they're not blessed indeed because it tells us that godliness plus contentment is great gain. It's not getting, it's not getting things that bless us. It's, it's not give me this and I'll be happy. You know, it's, it's being happy with what God gives you, blessing you that way. And so many times when we're given things that we even think that we need or that this would make it, it can turn into something that actually gets us off the rails. And we've talked a lot lately on the weekends as we've been going through to, to embrace whatever it is that God has for us, because that is where the true blessing is. Whatever it is he decides to give us and that navigates us through that path, that is where our blessing is. That is where our joy comes from. Enlarge my border. I'm challenged with that because in, in that it, I don't believe it was, again, just because we see the heart of the man that's asking this question, that it wasn't make me rich, make me famous, make, give me a whole bunch of stuff. Really, no doubt behind this, because your, that your hand might be with me. God, give me more so that I can bring glory and honor to you. Use me in such a way that will bring you more glory. Expand my opportunity to be a blessing to others. But I'm going to need your help in that. I'm going to need your hand in order to do that. Keep me from harm that it may not pain me. God granted him what he requests. 1 John chapter 5 tells us, this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which, which we have asked him. Being in the center of God's will, seeking his will and his desire and his design for us, that again, guys, is where we are truly blessed. We, I use this verse a lot, but it tells us that he will... If he will give to those who seek diligently after him. He will, he will give us the desires of our heart by changing the desires first and then giving them and blessing us with those things. Well, Jabez mentioned here, continues on, again, chapter 4, the descendants of Asher, the descendants of Simeon. Chapter 5, the genealogy of Reuben. Now, Reuben was the firstborn of Israel, but he forfeited his right to have that, that gift, that, that 
ability to be that one by sleeping with one of his father's concubines and defiling that relationship. And it tells us that in verse one and says, then though Judah prevailed over his brothers and from him came the leader, yet the birthright belonged to Joseph. Again, the name Joseph, bringing with it again, a whole story of, of pictures, just the name, right? The whole story about the coat of many colors. The fact that, his, that he had seen these visions that God had given to him. And when he shared them with his family, instead of them embracing that truth that God had revealed this to him, they became jealous of him. And they, they because of the, their father's love for Joseph over them, they, had them they, they sold him into slavery, into Egypt. And through the trials that he went through there and honoring God every step of the way, God raised him up as second in command only to Pharaoh. And then when he's reunited with his brothers, instead of bringing, <laughs> throwing them all into prison, making them pay for it, he had this beautiful understanding that God was working all of this. God did all of this to deliver you, to continue on with his promises through Joseph. As we look through Reuben, it tells us chapter 6, Actually, chapter 4, I'm sorry, not chapter 4, verse 24, verse 23, I'm sorry, chapter 5. Now, these were the sons of the half-tribe of Manasseh that lived in the land from Bashan to, ba to Baal, Hamor, and Saron, and Mount Hermon, and they were numerous. The half-tribe of Manasseh, Manasseh, one of the sons of Joseph. These were the heads of the fathers of the household, even Ephor, Ishi, these names here, mighty men of valor. Famous men, famous men, heads of their father's household. God blessed them. They were growing mighty in number, doing great things. But, verse 25, they acted treacherously against God of their fathers and played the harlot against after the gods of the peoples of the land whom God had destroyed before them. So the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Pu, king of Assyria, even the spirit of Tilgath Pileser, king of Assyria, and he carried them away into exile, namely the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh, and brought them to Halel, or Hela, Habor, and Hera, and to the river of Gozan to this day. Because they turned away from God. He was blessed them. He had given them the land that they'd asked for. They were the ones that settled for the land on the other side of the Jordan River. But God gave it to them and blessed them anyway. But because of their disobedience turning away, they were the first ones to be carried off into captivity into Assyria. Chapter 6 gets into the genealogy of Levi. The priests came from Levi. Those that worked in the temple came from the tribe of Levi. All of them that worked in the temple and around the temple, all of the, they all had the, their different roles. All of, not all of them were priests. All of, all of the priests had to have Levi genes. G-E-N-E-S. <laughs> but not all with Levi genes are priests. They all had roles to play. And chapter 6 is a very important one because Ezra was one that was tasked with going into Jerusalem then after being sent back after being in captivity to rebuild the temple and to reinstitute the sacrificial system and, and all of that. And it was very important 
because God said only Levites are allowed to do that. The priestly line that came through, through, the, through Levi. And only they were allowed to. So it's very important that these details are here, especially for them at that time. And so it goes, it, it details them very much. The, the sons of Levi were Gershon, Koath, and Merari. It goes the sons of Koath and, and on down through. Verse 16 is again, an in, or 15 is an interesting one because it says, uh, Jehozadak went along with them. The Lord carried Judah and Jerusalem away into exile, exile by Nebuchadnezzar. Again, it was God's hand that did it. It was God that was behind this. He said, because you have turned away from me, because you have not done what I commanded, this is what is going to happen. It was prophesied through many of the prophets as we looked going through 2 Kings, but it was God's hand that was done. Nebuchadnezzar was a pawn in all of it. The Lord carried them away by Nebuchadnezzar. As we continue on in chapter 6, verse 31, it says, now these are those whom David appointed over the service of song in the house of the Lord after the ark rested there. They ministered with song before the tabernacle of the tent of meeting until Solomon had built the house of the Lord in Jerusalem and they served in their office according to their order. These are those who served with their sons from the sons of the Kohathites were Heman, the singer, the son of Joel. And it continues on down in verse 39. Heman's brother Asaph stood at his right hand, even Asaph, the son of, of Barakah, the son of Shimei. Here we see, and I love this part in here because it tells us that, that music and singing were an integral part of worshiping the Lord. Singing his praises. It tells us Heman, the singer. I can only imagine what his voice must have been like. Single out as one that God had given this gift to sing. Asaph. Many psalms were written by Asaph and along, singing alongside with Haman and, and playing that. Can you imagine the worship as it was there and these that were given this gift to worship the Lord as they used it? I don't think Michael W. Smith has anything on Haman. All of the, the, the work that was done, it speaks of this, but Aaron, verse 49, and his sons offered on the altar burnt offerings on the altar of incense. The descendants of Aaron became the priestly line, the ones that offered the sacrifices. But guys, they, if you've ever, has anybody ever watched a butchering a cow? Have you ever seen an animal like that? I had never until I went to Sudan and I watched them butcher one of the animals that we then had for dinner that night. That's a lot of work. That, that's not just like, you know, unwrapping the burger and throwing it on the grill. There's a, a whole lot of work that's involved in that. So there's many that were involved in that entire process. A lot of work to be done by the, the, the Levites that were there. Again, many continues on verse 54 and following through the end of chapter six speaks of the land that was given to the Levites, the different cities. As the land was divided up amongst the different tribes of, of Israel, once they crossed over and, and Joshua was involved in separating that out and giving them separate, Levi did not get a plot of land. They were the Lord's servants. They belonged to God and he had them, he gave them cities, he gave them places around so that they could minister throughout the entire nation. And it goes through that 
in the remainder of chapter 6. Chapter 7 covers genealogy of Issachar, descendants of, of Benjamin, Naphtali, Manasseh, the other half-tribe, descendants of Ephraim, Asher again. Chapter 8, we get into the genealogy of Benjamin, and from Benjamin comes Saul, King Saul. And that's why this, again, is important as it goes through, following through. And again, like I said, I, I'm, I know we're flying through this, and you can read through this, but this is where we get to with the genealogy of King Saul, beginning in verse 33. Ner became the father of Kish. Kish became the father of Saul. And then it continues on down from Saul there forward. When we get to chapter 10, as I mentioned already, that it, it, it speaks of the death of, of King Saul. And then the, chapter 11 begins now with the reign of David. So we'll look at that, Lord willing, next week. Chapter 9 speaks of now the return of the people from captivity in Babylon to Israel. And the interesting thing about this is they've been there now for 70 years. Many of them, if not most of them, have settled into their life there in Babylon. And some have, have certainly gotten do, doing well, have, have put down roots and different things like that. Imagine 70 years, a full generation or two that are now living there, growing up there. We see Daniel and, and some of those others. Many uh, still slaves. But again, understand that a, that a slave, many of them had good masters. They had everything that they needed. They didn't have to worry about these things. But when the opportunity was given to go back to Jerusalem, many took that opportunity. But many is a relative term compared to how many there were that were there. And understand, when they got to Jerusalem, they're going back to ruins. It was, it was leveled. We saw that as we finished up Second Kings. It was completely leveled off. And so they move, they come back there, and we will you read through in Ezra and Nehemiah the rebuilding process that goes on. It was hard, it was difficult times. A lot of a lot of outside forces that were coming against them. Verse nine or chapter nine begins So all Israel was enrolled by genealogies. And behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel. That's not first and second kings, this is another reference. Judah carried away into exile in Babylon for their unfaithfulness. But now he goes on, all Israel enrolled. From here on forward, it's, as we go through First Chronicles and Second Chronicles, it's still Judah. But here forward, chapter 9 is meaning here forward after Second Chronicles. And as we get into Ezra and Nehemiah, it's Israel again. It's no longer Judah, Israel separate. It's one, one nation again of Israel. Chapter 9 again, takes us then through that, that piece. And then again, the ancestry and descendants of Saul finish off chapter nine. And we'll get into chapter 10 next week. I realize that that is a huge, <laughs> a huge flyover of all of that. And I do encourage you because there are some interesting things that are, that are in there. There's some things that are left out. And I would encourage you to read through that on your own time. But it is something that we we go through because guys, here's, here's the thing. And I, I encourage you in this, that God doesn't put anything in his word. There's no, there's no filler material in here. And this was written again as a huge encouragement in it. And that, that hope to the people that are in exile, 
the people that are coming back, that God has not forsaken them, that hear it and they see his hand working through all of that. And again, I, just to reiterate, we today can look back on that and embrace the fact that, again, God keeps his promises. And regardless whatever it is that we go through or whatever it is that we face in our life, his promise is that he will never leave us, he'll never forsake us. His promise is that he will not allow us to go through anything that we're not equipped to get through in his power, in his strength, that, that he, he is a sovereign God who loves us and loves us so much that he gave his only son to die for us. And as believers in the Lord Jesus, we are assured of our place with him forever. And if you're here today and you've never made that commitment, you've never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've never gone all in, please don't leave here tonight without coming up and talking to me or, or Bob, one of the elders here. Let, let us talk with you about that because the, the promise is available to you. You see, we are all, as believers, grafted in to Israel. We are all sons and daughters of the same promises that were given. And the, the promise that was given then to David that one of his will always be on the throne pointing to Jesus who came through the lineage of David and sits on his throne forever and ever. And we are children of God because of him. Well, let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope that we have because you have preserved this for us. And Lord, as we have done a very quick flyover of many, many names, that you took the time and had the author take the time to write out completely. Lord, we can't help but rejoice in the fact that our name is written in your book. Lord, that, that we are, are not insignificant in your eyes, every one of us, so precious to you that you gave your own life for us. Lord, we want to be those who walk in a manner worthy of that amazing gift. Lord, that we would radiate the joy and the hope that we have, especially in this season where so many people running around and so frantic and so empty. Lord, thinking that they are, are grasping the things that they desire, that they're, they're blessings, but they're not blessed indeed because they don't have you. Lord, let us, let us be used by you to bring the true meaning of this season that you came, but you came with a purpose. And that purpose was to give your very life to redeem us, to save us. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Next week, we'll get back to going verse by verse.